0: recognizing, like, the value of impact and that impact doesn't, you know, like you said, you can get out here, you can go on a screen and millions of people are seen it, and that's great, but I also have the benefit of sometimes just hearing from the voice of one and that idea that I'm, I'm, I am making some impact somewhere and that I don't have to be a glory seeker, that my impact of one is enough, actually. Like, one life in this world matters enough, and so if I'm doing something of impact of on one life,
1: then I have to take up some space Dominique Moroso is a writer, actress, co-producer whose plays include Pipeline, that was at Lincoln Center Theater earlier this year, Skeleton Crew, which was at the Atlantic Theater Company, Paradise Blue at Signature Theater, Detroit 67 at the Public Theater, Sunset Baby, which was at Labyrinth Theater. She is also a co-producer on the Showtime show Shameless. She's been awarded the Spirit of Detroit Awards, the Weisberg Awards, the Pony Fellowship, Sky Cooper Award, Edward M. Kennedy Prize for Drama, Steinberg Playwright Award, Odell Award, and an Obie Award. Y'all sit back, get a notebook because she drops some knowledge. Welcome, Dominique, to the show. It means so much to have you here. Once again, it is another girl crush moment here on The Come Up. And just so everybody knows, Dominique is not here live. She's actually in her car in Los Angeles. <laughs> so we can have the best sound possible. And Dominique already told everyone so much about who you are. But my first question I always ask people is before you were 13 and it doesn't have to have anything to do with writing. Even what was the first time in your life where you felt like by the time you were around 13 or even before then that you felt like, Oh, this is my come up. Like, Oh, I'm really good at something. Uh,
0: you know, that's a great question. I feel like it was around, I've I've said this in a, in iterations before to people, but, like, maybe around, like, age, eight or nine, I uh, I was reading, like, mystery novels and stuff, you know, like, just, like, and mystery short stories and stuff. I and so I tried to write some as a kid. Like, I would do, you know, back when people wrote on paper, um, I had, like, it. <laughs> Folded line paper, you know how you would fold the little pages, you try to make a little booklet. Yeah. And I made these these things. Um I used to have Cabbage Patch Kid dolls And uh, and so I decided to
1: write the Cabbage Patch Kid Mystery. That's Shut what I was very really interested no, um, no No, no, no. <laughs> you would I mean, never you think person. I would never think Dominique's first play would be a Cabbage Patch <laughs> Mystery. But look, I was in love with Cabbage Patch, Cabbage Patch Kids. Patch. I would have bought every book. Yes. Okay.
0: Right. Well, listen, that's what I knew I was good at something because I would pass my little uh, novella around to people and hand it out, like, little booklets, and my classmates would read it, and they'd be like, you know, where's the next Cabbage Patch story coming out, you know? So I was just like... I called it like I was like the story pusher. I was like a third grade story pusher. And, um, and that's when I felt like, oh, this might be something I want to do. You know what I mean? Like I could, I could
1: tell stories. I like telling stories. It's amazing how many people find their calling before they get to 13. And then <laughs> and then that calling is literally, literally for the rest of your life. You keep going back to that first moment. Yeah. So the baby steps. Yeah. So was it that it sounds like because you had such a support around you saying good job you felt like this might be good for me what did your parents think when they first saw that you were becoming a writer well
0: you know my my mother was a a third grade teacher most of my life and then she before she retired like in the last 10 years she became like a fifth grade teacher but she, she she taught for 40 years and uh and like a really stressed community, you know, she never left her. She never left that community. Never left those kids. And and my dad is—he's kind of a computer guy, but he—he he was real creative. He had a really strong creative brain. So they really were very supportive, you know, of my creativity. And you know, I remember I did come to my mother like around third grade and tell her I wanna be um uh I wanna be a writer and a child psychologist and an actress. (laughs) 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 Those three things. Just <laughs> those three. So do you know what I mean? And uh, you know, simple living. And, but, and she kind of laughed. Right,
1: that's pretty. But look, She's you like, can. Because
0: I'm already getting like a backup job, right? I'm like the child psychologist is
1: going to be my backup job. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you knew at that age that you needed some type of backup job.
0: I did. I know that I was nuts, but I straight did, and it um, was <laughs> ridiculous. But
1: I knew I liked kids, and I was a kid, mind you, okay. But I was like, I don't really like kids. I want to be a child psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> but look, you know what? I wonder yeah. if this is. I wonder if that's like culturally just specific for Black people. It's like, look, I can I can look around my neighborhood and see nobody's making money off of what they're writing. So just in case. <laughs> I'll have, like, another job out here that's got a degree attached to it. That seems to make sense to me.
0: that's, you know, that's right. And I'm sure my mother and her push toward education probably had some subconscious things to do with it. She never, like, she always pushed education to me. She never pushed, like, job and career to me. She just pushed education, you no. know, because that's what's big and that's what she believes in, you know.
1: Dominique, it is so great to hear your voice. Oh, my goodness. I'm just so excited. Yay. Yay! I'm just so excited for everything that you're doing. Every time you do anything, I'm just so inspired. And it's weird because in my mind, and I'm you must have, like, a whole support team of people who must feel like this, or I'm just odd. But every time you do something, I feel like, yeah, I just talked to Dominique yesterday. That sounds like her. Yeah, yeah, she doing pipeline that makes sense. What's that? She just wrote a musical. Oh no, no. That sounds like her. Uh, because from the moment I met you, I feel like you're somebody who is also very fully self expressed, who's done a great job and not being limiting on what you want to talk about as an artist. Um, can you talk to me about, or if you can even talk about, what do you think, uh, has allowed you to be so bold in that way? Because the truth is, as an artist, whether you're a writer, dancer, actor, even a musician, people really try to force you to stay in a lane. What in the matriculation of your life has allowed you to realize and keep that door open of being fully self-expressed like that? Wow. Hang uh,
0: on. I'm not sure that I know. I, 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 I think that it's like it's almost like asking, like, how do you know? It's like asking a karate kid, how you know how to fight? You're like, oh, well, I was waxing, <laughs> I was waxing these windows, and then, you know. Um, but it's, it's because I feel like what that really is is all the the the, the fifty thousand, the fifty eleven coaches I've had in my life, right? Right. <laughs> the, I'm sure that has something to do with the people in my life who, my teachers and my mentors and my you know, my family members, and all the people that laid, like, a confident hand on me and, and told me that I, you know, that I kind of, that made me believe sky was the limit. I believe them. If you tell me that, I'm gonna believe you, you know, So if you tell me I can do something, I'm gonna believe you, and, um, and I feel like I've had that in my life, of um, boundless, um, um, you know, examples of people who go, who can do, who will do the things that they say they're going to do. I just, I've, I've been around people who do what they say they're going to do. And so, um, for me, I'm just, I'm, I have those as my models. So, I, I, so I'm saying that because I feel like it's hard as hell and it's scary as hell to, to do anything, yeah. um, but especially to feel like you're pushing a boundary of something. And I don't think I have that master. Um, but I I just see myself striving to not be complacent. And I kind of look at it. My husband and I, we both, you know, we're both artists. He's a music artist, I'm, you know. And
1: I know, he's um, amazing too. About, Absolutely,
0: yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah he's, he, he, he inspires me, you know what I mean? And keeps me very motivated. And he... What we kind of, we saw this um, August Wilson's, um, Ruben Santiago Hudson did a one-man show uh, yes. a few years ago. Right, right, August Wilson's, how I learn what I learn, right? Right, right. Um, and there's this there's this line in that show where August Wilson, the character, <laughs> um, is talking about the limitation of the instrument, and I don't really, but that's... My idea I have really adopted. Uh, I just love it, which is basically like I'm gonna stretch the instrument I got. I'm gonna play this instrument to so I ain't no more notes to play. And then when I play the instrument to all the notes I got, then I got to find another instrument. You know? So for me I'm just as an artist and as a creative being, as an activist, as a human being, I'm trying to like take my instrument. I'm not I'm not I'm gonna leave no note unplayed on this sucker. You know? <laughs>
1: I'm leaving no note I'm playing. Uh that is the most beautiful quote I've ever heard. I've not heard anyone actually quote that part. I'm so sad I miss Ruben Santiago. I always said somebody else out here in the world who just needs his own just sandbox of creativity is Ruben Santiago Hudson. Yeah. He's a vessel full of so much experience and poetry within him. Uh, I love yeah. I love that answer because you know, I think, you know, I say this as an actress and as a Uh, you know, I'm a singer and I play an instrument. I play the guitar and all this stuff. But to me, to be, to me, to be a writer is the scariest thing because to write, you know, as an actor, I only really need to take care of my lane to a certain extent. And if I'm a part of the creative part of it, then I can help collaborate to the greater voice. But as a writer, uh, I had my first reading of a play last year that I wrote, and I realized, oh, my goodness, as a writer, you're all over the page. That is you yes. everywhere. What do, to new writers, what do you think have, have, are great steps to, like, the baby steps to nurturing your voice so you know you can be all over the page like that?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> you know, that's... Um...
1: And I mean, I that's something a lot of mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I was going to say, that's a crazy question, because that's something I'm sure everyone's constantly trying to deal with, too. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. You talk to a lot of writers.
0: I think so. I mean, I talk to a lot of writers that are like in various stages of writing, and I, I, I always find myself struggling with how to. Answer, like, what do I do or how do I do this? And I know that sounds crazy um, because all I can say is what I do. Because I don't don't know, everybody is so different. We're so different. And I don't know how to, I don't want to cater somebody. You know, it's like I I don't believe in setting yourself to somebody else's clock. You know, so Mm. it's like, oh I got to put myself on my own clock. I got to find what my own passion is. But I do think that there's something that helps all of us as writers, which is to to even begin the process of writing, um, which is, you know, just having creative courage. And so, like, I wish for people creative courage. Because what that does is it, you know, it takes a lot to be able to write. You're all over your plate, like you said. You're all over anything that you write. And it's like you you just open up a window to your soul, and it's not pretty in there. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's quite... Stop in there. Excuse my language. It's quite messed up in there. Um, that you know, and and you don't want to show that to people. And so, uh, it's, it's hard to let everybody into that. Whereas, like a as an actor, I can walk away from that story. Or as a you know director, you can walk away from the story. But as a writer, you can't walk away. That was me. I put that. That it started with me in a room by myself. It's going to end in a room with me by my, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. It's going to end with me. It's going to end um, in, my, in my, my, you know, canon of work. That's going to be me. And so it's it's terrifying, I think. Um, <laughs> before I first think, you know, creative courage to, like, you know, it takes a lot of, I think, self-forgiveness um, and a little, a bit of being okay with yourself, like being okay with the messy parts. So you are gonna let all your messy parts show, and like if you can love yourself through it, then it really ain't gonna matter when nobody else thinks about it, you know. I'm loving myself and you all enough to show you my mess, in hopes that it will inspire you to not be as messy or to love your own mess too. Like that, I'm gonna sacrifice myself for
1: that. I love that because it shows too. Like maybe that's the thing that's so awe inspiring about writers is the idea of your vulnerability. Uh, we don't see it as a vulnerability. But I think a lot of that has to do with the specificity, how specific you are about every story you tell. You, as the writer, it's almost like you disappear and we only see these characters that you created or the world that you created. And that can only happen being so specific. The thing about your plays that I think are really interesting is that, um, and because you are an activist, I'm sure a lot of it's on purpose. It's It overlaps with history, story, and yet it's still emotional. And so I feel like your plays are a great learning tool. Uh, It's a great learning tool in so many ways, whether it's for humanity or education. Uh, And so because that's true, and every time you do a play, I feel like a busload should come out. Have you noticed what has worked to really get people of diverse backgrounds to come out to see these sorts of plays. What have you noticed that has worked? Or do you find that you still have to push every theater that you're with to really figure out a way how to open up the doors so everyone can come in and see this and not just old white people, which we love old white people. Um, but your story right. is for everyone. How do you get everyone in there?
0: Yeah, I- it's the latter of what you said. I, I have to push. I mean, that doesn't come, and you know, to the point where at this at this this stage in the game for me, after having done the work that I've done for a long time, I'm actually just—it's just not okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like it's, I have reached a new point in my life where it's just—I'm not—I'm not—I I'm, I'm intolerant of a lack of diversity at the theater. Mm-hmm. I'm just intolerant of it. So. Um, if we're gonna do everything. I'm gonna talk to your marketing team. I'm, a, I'm gonna. I wanna have. I'm. I'm gonna be involved, especially if it's a premiere of my work, and especially if it's in a city that I have like relationships with people. Like I'm gonna. We got. We got work to do. I'm gonna talk to the about who they need to hire in my communities. You know, to help spread the word in those communities. What kind of like community engagement we're gonna be having around my work? Like it's just not because it's not. It's not. I'm just intolerant of of us being, um, what I said to somebody recently that asked me about this, and I I didn't even, I wasn't trying to be, uh, you know, clever or or cheeky or whatever, but it was, I said, you know, it's like, this is 2018 almost, right? Like, it's no more, no more black people on stage, only white people in the audience. Like, that is some segregation type stuff. That's from, like, 1950s. Like, you know, black artists been coming in the back door at the jazz club right. and only in performing order, or a cotton club, or with an elite performing for all white audiences. Like, we're not doing that no more. We're not doing that no more. Like, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's unacceptable to the point of, like, segregation type on Like, don't Jim Crow my plays no more. I'm not, I'm not okay with it. Well, you know, it's so, funny.
1: You're so right. It is such, it's almost like Jim Crow. And I feel like it's really like Jim Crow when there's only one show that is diverse, because I think the problems with uh, right. many theaters is that whether it's one black, one Latino, one Asian, uh, anything that's not, um, from the majority it's, you only have one touch point every 365 days a year to reach out to a community. No wonder that community is not coming. Cause it's like, you only call them up once a year. I don't even know if your mama would like you if you only called her up once a year.
0: show, then all of a sudden you want to send like your, your literature out to those communities and like you're going to send your flyers with, with, with people of color faces on it and be like, come on out. And I, I always liken it to like, so you want me to you're going to send me a flyer to come to your to your place, to your house to eat. I don't know if you can cook. Come on. I, I can cook. Right. I don't know if you can cook. <laughs> so now I'm going to leave my house where I know I can eat good and I'm going to just come to your house. I'm going to pay you to eat at your house not <laughs> I can eat at my house for free or for the money I spend on my food. Right? So you ain't even brought me no samples. Like, what What are you t- Why would I do that? Like, why Why would I do that? I would not do that. No smart community would do that. A community will come to you when you come to them. Mm. Cause you want them in your house. Right? It's like, how you want me in your house and you're not willing to come knock on my door and tell me who you are and give me a sample of your, your, your food. And yes. then maybe I want to come eat from the table with you. But you can't just decide oh we got this i could we got soul food over here guess what people we got soul food and it's like oh really good we've been had soul food i don't need your soul food you know um we have to do a little better at like going out into the community and connecting with them and and engaging them and stop making them feel cheap Mm. like we just want your money for this one thing and then we don't care about you no more stop doing that that's cheap and, and, and if, if theaters don't figure that out, um, they're, they're, I, their financial pockets will start to figure it out real soon, you know, because right now they don't think that people of color can afford theater. That's another misconception about right. people of
1: color. That's such a yeah. lie. First of all, black folks will always find money to do the things that they think are necessary. And I say it's so funny how this, I love, there's certain things that they're so old that I feel like it might as well just be a racist statement. Like, to say that Black people don't have money for the theater, that's so racist. Okay, uh, that's just as dumb as Black movies don't sell abroad. That's just racist, because we know they do. Uh, uh, And when it comes to entertainment, the only reason they're not coming out is that they don't see themselves. Or we have, I feel like, (laughs) Black folks especially, I feel like our ear for what is true and authentic, it's so high that, to your point, when we feel like, we're being someone's just trying to sell us something real cheaply. Then we're like, no, I don't want that. Cause I only want to go. I mean, otherwise every artist we've ever had would never flourish because we're the ones who made hip hop what it is or any great movie. I mean, we always come out, always say black women spend more money on their hair than any other demographic. You telling me you don't think we'll come out and support Tyler Perry has an entire studio because of black women.
0: You know, and here's the thing, and as far as hair is concerned, if you talk about how much money black women spend on their hair, if they go, they spend their money on their hair. They want to go places. Come tell it. They want to go see stuff. They want to look good and go out. <laughs> so, you know, I'm so happy to hear this. It's
1: just so true. I I feel like this is uh, it it should, if anything, make people feel like oh. We should just run out and go make more theaters then. Go out and get all your friends and keep creating more theater. Speaking of that, yeah, do you remember, of course you remember, what was the first theater you ever got to actually see your work in?
0: Oh, um... That would be the University of Michigan uh, at the Arena Theater. That was it was a student-run theater at, a, at the University of Michigan. That was where I put my first play up. I directed it. I acted in it. I wrote it. I choreographed it. I helped with, with the lighting design. Did the sound design. <laughs> I do like everything. Never ever again will want to do all of that. <laughs> I won't. Uh, but. You know, when you kinda you know, you're young you went to college and you just you got all these resources and you're like, Hey, let's just use all this junk. So, um, so that's what I did and it was it was my play called Stay with this now. It was called um The Blackness Blues, Time to Change the Tune, a Sister's
1: story. Oh <laughs> <That was> good. <laughs> my goodness. I love that's like for colored girls who consider suicide. Yeah, but have exactly, seen the rainbow exactly. it is enough. <laughs>
0: where the inspiration came from and with a choreo poem and I, you know I do believe every young black girl writer especially young black girl poet turned playwright has a little bit of Ntozake in her <laughs> oh, honey, it's
1: <laughs> so know? true it's so tr- listen everything I've ever written it has some type of spoken word some type of movement I think in my soul I feel like every play has to have a moment of something that doesn't make sense because it's really just about the soul trying to be expressed and I yeah. and there's something deeply, like, probably African that's connected to that, where you're just like, I can't just tell the story with words. It's too big. Uh, it's got too much depth to just say it with words. So to me, that makes perfect sense that you said it had choreography. <laughs> it had everything. <laughs>
0: it so, had everything, girl. everything,
1: So then, when you left Detroit, well, at what point... Did you leave Detroit? Did you always know that your path was gonna take you to New York or LA? What was that like for you leaving Detroit? Um I'd never LA
0: wasn't even like I couldn't even know. LA was never in my purview. Right. Um, yeah. New York was I'm not surprised LA to hear that. Yeah. In my yeah, I'm sure. Never in my and now I'm like literally I'm living here, like I'm gonna be here, like we gonna find a home here, Like, we're living here. <laughs> well and I just I got I don't even know what that is.
1: The quality of life in L.A. is is so superior over New York City. Uh, it's it's easy to fall in love with Los Angeles. If for nothing else, just the quality of life. Just know you can go up a mountain and go to the ocean and do it all in yeah. your car. And you can have a house, child. Even if you had an apartment, your apartment's huge. I mean, so yeah. it's, it's easy yeah. to be like, I can, you're a writer. You can have a whole room to yourself. And all you have to do is write in that room if you want. Yeah. I mean... So I it, know. It makes I know sense. I'm still,
0: I'm still, I'm still mourning Brooklyn. Like I'm a Brooklyn girl. I'm a Detroit Brooklyn girl. I'm going to figure out what kind of Los Angeles I am. And I ain't figured that out. Like, girl, know, but like Brooklyn
1: going Brooklyn's not going anywhere. You know? It's part of like, I it feel like every artist has to get to LA at some point. Uh, now, yeah. whether or not you live there forever and ever, that's another question, but everybody got to get through LA at some point. Uh, and it's a blessing for why you're there. So yeah, you got to stay there. So, so, so Detroit to New York, how did that happen?
0: that happened from you know michigan i mean from i I went to michigan graduated in their theater program as an actor and then i taught for a year in detroit like well in a city that's inside of detroit and um same school my mama taught at. and uh no i taught there for a year saved all my money and then i moved to new york I, i just knew i was supposed to come to new york for i was theater so that was just where to go i mean it wasn't even like a of the only other place I thought about going was Chicago, because uh, I grew up in the Midwest, so it felt like, oh, Chicago. I could see to Chicago, but New York was more. Um, it was where I wanted to be, and it was where I wanted to actually go to school, and I didn't. So I just was ready to go to New York um, and try it, and so that's how that happened. And you know, and I and I found. I feel that New York was really, it was where I was supposed to be. It was, like, just in my bones. Like, I'm all ever, I'll ever, I'll, I'll become, you know, whatever I become out here in L.A., I will always also be a New Yorker. I'll be a New Yorker and a Los Angelino or whatever it'll be, but I'll i will never lose that, and I'm still a Detroiter. So, like, I'll pick up the places that I go, and I just carry them with me just to the new places that I go. But I never really, if I love those places, I may... Foundation in those places. I never leave those places. And New York for me was just kind of everything—culture well, and community—and the way that you can just find your tribe.
1: Totally, yeah. Really
0: fast out there is—it's kind of it's special, you know. That you, I can build family—a a family of artists out there. That everybody is a good place to hustle, and um—and I think that that's what turned me on to New York. It's where you go to hustle. I think a lot. LA is where you go to. To, to change the hustle and to not hustle so much, to be working on in another capacity. New York is where you go to, like, build your, like, your muscles, really, um, and your resilience. Mm. Uh, and then I think you can kind of be anywhere.
1: Yeah, you know? it's funny. I, I I think that's pretty accurate. You know, I feel like New York, you know, that saying, "if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. I mean, there's yeah. some truth to that because this city doesn't crush you and you still want to do the thing. That's pretty yeah. amazing. And then you can pick that up and take it to LA because LA will never be as hard as New York. It's just a different yeah. use a different strategy in LA than New York. Uh I always say too, New York, I've always felt like you can always find your tribe in New York and get that thing up on the stage, up on a screen. But if you go to LA, it'll get on the screen, but the entire world will see it. Uh New That's York, right You know? So, you know, you build it here and it still is great, but the whole world might see it. If you move to LA, it's just, the game is different and it might take longer in LA, but the rewards are just so different. Did you have a, did you have a certain idea of what you thought New York was going to be? I asked that because even though Detroit isn't the South, I mean, I do think Detroit is made of, of lots of black folks from the great migration who just moved from, who were from the South, who moved up North, uh, so New York, Detroit, black people. And, you know, the South side of Chicago, black people, even South LA, black people, like all those people are from the South. So when I meet them, I'm always like family. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm from Florida and I had a very, uh, I had a very clear idea of what I thought New York was. And I'm always interested to hear what other people's idea of what they thought New York was going to be for them. For me, it was like, Oh, if I get to New York, I grew up in Florida. So to me, New York seemed like freedom. I was like, you must go to New York and people just let you do and be whoever. Because here in Florida, it's not like that. It's almost like, it's almost like an enslaved person trying to get up north. If I get to north, it's going right. to be freedom. <laughs> yes. I guess I thought New York was going to be, well, you
0: know, the bright light, big city part of it. I, I, what I thought was I was going to step off the plane and Spike Lee was going to be like, you're just what I was looking for. Come in my next movie. And in you know, five <laughs> seconds, I was going to be a star. I love how I think that five seconds. It's going to take five seconds. All you need to do is know I'm in the city mm. and it's going to fade, you know. And, um, and then when you humble up, <laughs> life will humble you. Right. Life will always humble you. And uh, and then you realize, like you know, you've been so many years in the game, and you 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 have to work, and you have to, listen. and I mean, not just work, but like there is struggle before there is progress. Um, and so, to me, what I imagine New York, like, how I kind of like magic, the movies, and it it, it loves some of that. Like there are still things that I love about New York. Like it, it, this will be my first holiday season in L.A. And I spent Christmas in LA last year and I really liked it, but I didn't spend like the whole season here. You know, I, I'm usually spending my Christmas season in New York, and I love New York is magic in Christmas time. Yeah. I actually think it's one of the best places in the Christmas. I love the New York thing for at Christmas, you know, like in the Christmas season. Yeah. It's just. And, and, and there's like people playing music on the street, and like you know that kind of stuff is what I imagine about New York. And when those moments would happen, it was like a euphoria I couldn't explain. <laughs> I'm Like oh my god, like I'm living some like fantasy dream of a movie. I'm um, just like 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 a, a very urban fantasy, you know, like a walk down the street somebody throws something at you, but also like somebody singing a song and playing, <laughs> playing a you know a trumpet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. Um but it was it was just kind of I expected like artistry and magic to jump out at me that's what I really did, expected in New York and I kind of got that you know uh, it just didn't come with like you know, come be on Broadway <laughs> <laughs> it girl came with like, come roll up your sleeves and get working
1: I'm sure there must be one black woman who got off the bus and they were like come to Broadway I doubt it but maybe one person <laughs> got that story <laughs> It's funny because you
0: know what? It was. It was actually a friend of mine did. She got. She came out of school. She went and she was in a Lion King on Broadway, and she was playing Nala in a Lion King. Shut up. She she went right to Broadway. She 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 graduated school. She didn't even get her degree, and she went right to Broadway. And we was like, what? And I remember when I went out to New York and I visited her. Um, before I moved there, you know, just so she could help us figure out where we should live and all that kind of stuff. And I went out to see her. I, remember, I will never forget this day, but we are like, she's taking us on a tour, of the stage, and, like, we're in her dressing room. i are like, oh, my God, this is, like, amazing. You I'm know? And this girl comes in, a sister comes in with tears in her eyes, and she's upset. And all the other actors in the show are kind of gathered around her and the other dancers. Like, what's wrong? She had this bad audition, and she just feels terrible, and she just, you know, she really wanted something. And she didn't get it, and she's just upset and feeling like, you know, her dreams are exploding. And I'm sitting here looking at her like, Papa, you are want okay. Amen. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but she, but it just gave me a lot of perspective about, like, wow, like, you come straight, you go straight up. You, you came out of school and you went straight up, and even here, even here, people are trying to get to the next thing. We're always trying to get the next thing, no matter what it is. So what looks rosy to somebody else is like, you know, it's like grass is always greener type thing, and it just made me realize that we'll never stop wanting something more than what we have,
1: oh, right? it's for like sure. When, do you,
0: when is your appetite like going to actually be satiated, you know, it's just Ah, uh, it, it just, it just, it changed my perspective. Like, maybe I should start finding ways to enjoy the food I, that I'm eating in the moment. You know, what, wherever that restaurant is, whether it's like, you know, on Broadway or off-off Broadway or at a regional theater or in my own community center, like, where am I going to enjoy the fruits of what I'm eating, like, now?
1: Well, you know? it's so true. I think, you know, patience, patience, if you're an artist, you have to really study patience. And somewhere in between patience and having to understand that happiness is a moving target. So it's, it's rarely quenched. Uh, and if it is quenched, it's just for such a short amount of time. Uh, I, think you, I think it's a really interesting question to really explore about what can anybody do to really try to stay situated in that. Because otherwise, how do you handle the hard times? I mean, a question I usually ask people is, is this thing that you've been doing since you were eight years old, was there ever a time in your life where you felt like you might just throw in the towel? Like maybe this wasn't for you. And then even if it was just a glimmer of that, and then how did you overcome that thought? Yeah.
0: I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I can say that uh, I've had that thought yesterday. <laughs> 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 I mean, like, that, that, that is a recurring thought. I think. That's um, so
1: crazy to hear because, okay, so you're talking about the girl in Lion King. I'm sitting here like, Dominique, Dominique, you got your new TV show, Shameless, that you just finished working on, the eighth season. Uh, you've got a musical out here. I know you got a show coming back to Signature, I think, next year, right? With Ruben. Um uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah. That's
1: right. mm-hmm. So I'm like, you have things to look forward to. So yeah, what is that thing? And then how do you overcome that thing? I almost feel like that thought must be some stupid recycle button of thoughts that just come up. It just like a pop tart. It just pops up every now and then. Like what? What is it? How do you deal with it? Yeah. I mean, I, I
0: I think it is some. I wish I knew. I mean, I guess I do know sometimes the source of it. And if I do, I can kill it. But mm-hmm. sometimes, um. It a side flight he's driving and all of a sudden he got side flight it's like oh man that monster that monster then came back um, and yeah. I realized that that monster when that monster surfaces all I know about the monster for sure is that when I am out of balance spiritually and emotionally and I haven't had time to take care of my spiritual and emotional health I'm not I'm not able to see the forest of trees you know mm-hmm. and that's when uh that's when that that negative thing can start emerging and telling me, you know, a whole lot of bad things about myself or about, uh, you know, like, or just fatigue me to the point or or make me feel exhausted from the fight. I think that's what I normally feel. I feel like, oh, God, you know, maybe not that I'm not, that I don't have a thing or value, but that, that I'm the only one that might feel that way or that it will be, no one's going to let me emerge. No one wants to, to hear the thing that I have to say because it's too, um it makes everyone uncomfortable. Mm. And so um no one's going to allow me to make them uncomfortable. They're not going to want to do that. They try to, because no one likes to be, no one likes you holding up mirrors and stuff to them and being, you know why you're holding up one to yourself. And no one wants to be thinking about that. That's not fun for a lot of people. They want to, You know, they're going to just chill and believe in the false hype and smoke in the mirrors or whatever. And I'm just not that kind of artist. I'm always going to put up mirrors, social mirrors, you know, um, personal mirrors, whatever. And I'm also, I'm always going to be asking us to figure out how we can, like, where we're. Hurting or harming each other, humanity. I'm going to ask us to think hard about it and, and try to make some different choices. Not everybody's going to want to do that, you know. And now everybody's going to want to, to, to hear me push the boundaries or ask why is you know what's the point out the racism and the sexism and the you know and the economic injustice and the things that are are part of our you know normal society that makes people very uncomfortable. And so if that's my journey in life, my lot in life, and, that's just, and a lot of people are resistant to that, do I have the energy, man, to fight this all the time, mm. you know? Um, and that is, I think, what actually does lead me to being like, man, maybe I, I could just chill. I'm going to become simple. But it's not in me, right? Like, it ain't really even in me. From teaching to, to, to writing a musical, it's just not, it's just not in me. To to go along with to get along, you know, I'm always going to push something. I'm, I'm asking to push boundaries because I do it for myself. That's so why I gotta do it for my art and for the world I'm, I want to see. Um, and it's, it's exhausting. I think so. So yes, I have that along with the other things of like worthiness and, and that type of stuff. Um, but it's, it's just they're they they're all connected. Like what am I even? doing this for if it's going to keep being so hard and I, I do feel fatigued enough to say throw in the towel and I, I the only thing that I think makes me keep going is one I get very centered I get back to some kind of spiritual centering you know um, so I have mentors that I reach out to to help me get back to that centered place uh, but then um, the other thing that keeps me going is I think uh i recognizing, like, the value of impact and that impact doesn't, you know, like you said, you can get out here, you can go on a screen and millions of people are seeing it, and that's great. But I also have the benefit of sometimes just hearing from the voice of one and that idea that I'm, I'm, I am making some impact somewhere and that I don't have to be a glory seeker, that my impact of one is enough, actually. Like, one life in this world matters enough. And so if I'm doing something
1: of impact on one life, then I'm, I have to take up some space Oh that life. Oh, Dominique, that's beautiful. You know, one of the reasons I created this show is because I feel like we're so... We're, because it's a capitalistic country, we're so focused on how many screens was your TV show or movie on and like how many records did that record sell and how many likes did you get? And you only get rewarded in a cannibalistic sort of way because it's based yep. off of the mass quantity, but not necessarily the depth and the impact of something, the, right. the authentic voice of an artist. That's not what's actually celebrated. And what's so important to me about this exploration of me even doing this podcast for this year is really about trying to explore like what what is the simplistic reason why people become artists, and I think what you said is so true it'd be it's it's such a paradigm shift to have to help people think that to have one person to actually listen to you is of great value to the world uh, and if you can reach a hundred that's cool, but you can never get to a hundred if you don't just try to reach one and I feel like I feel like we like skip over that and maybe that's because we're young. And again, it's because we are trying to see how much can we get and how short of time. But to me, you really hit the head on, I mean, maybe the, the best way to even cultivate a voice is, does anyone even resonate with what you just did? And then, and then go out and actually have a conversation with that one person and see where does that conversation. Take care. That's beautiful.
0: That's Artists are storytellers and we're communicators, like, you know, and I, I've always, the one thing I can say for myself is I have always led by art first. I have not led by uh, anything else over the art. Like, I have not led with career or, opportunity. people go, how are you building a career? I go, I don't know how I'm building my career, I'm how I'm building my art, you know, and I follow, the career follows, but I, I do not lead with career. Um, and so I don't actually know when people ask me for advice, career advice. That's where I get real nervous. Cause like I don't know. I don't know how to build a career. I know how to build art. And so, to, and because I lead with my art, I, I feel that you know we get very uh, industry. That's a career, right? And so industry tells you that you know how many numbers a industry is going to quantify you. Right. You know, and quantify you by the wrong things. You quantify me by numbers. I'm I defy math. I'm like mm. you gonna put me on like you know in your numbers they are not gonna ever add up to me. Mm. So it's, it's it's like what how are we gonna allow ourselves to be quantified? You cannot quantify my value by dollars or math. You know my 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 value is is creative and um and, and it and it kind of defies science and everything that is exact. It doesn't matter who I am in this world cannot you know, be put on some exact scale. And so, but the industry constantly tells you that we have to find a way to quantify you. We have to find a way to, like, you know, make you a transaction and not a human being. And I think that we have to do that work for ourselves to remind ourselves that I'm still a human being first, you know, and when it becomes transactional, and I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself more and more in spaces of transaction with my art, You know, I'm not before we just talked, I was gonna follow my lawyer and my agent. You know, (laughs) trying to trying to figure out a transaction. And I kept saying about the person we're making the transaction with, you know, that's I'm not gonna live on my knees and they cannot they are not gonna quantify me like that. So if I have to walk away fine because I am the well of creativity and my creativity will always defy your mask all the time. And it has to. So I'm not going to let you reduce me to numbers. Like our industry tries to do, so I can't. It's the it's the matter of whether you're trying to build a career or you're trying to build uh, uh, art. My art will like live on. My career, my career definitely probably has a, a, a like an expiration date. <laughs> you know what I mean? But my art don't. And so I think that that's the thing that we it, we can get lost on which one we focus on sometimes. Um,
1: That's so true. I can't agree more with any of that. Also, you know, career, it's a funny thing. If you're an artist, you live off of like this thing of intuition and gut and imagination, like these things that aren't tangible. And so every time you have to somehow translate that and figure out what's the tangible, uh, as you say, transaction for that, I have found, and this is true for all my friends, uh, no matter how huge, I mean, my, I have huge friends who everybody in the world knows to people that only people like next door to this person knows. And no matter what, no one can ever actually pay you what you feel like your worth was in creating said thing.
0: Right.
1: Because, uh, and I feel like that's because somehow it's whether the artist knows it or not, or at least the way I see it is that it's because it's, it's, it's not even mine. It's divine and yeah. whether it's something I wrote or something I act even when I'm on set depending on what the character is I always do a prayer that God leads me to the right choice yeah. so people can be open to it well if it's a vocation like that how you gonna ever put a price tag on it at the end of my life yeah. I'm at the end of my life I'm positive and be like you know what they got me for cheap in this
0: life. <laughs> <laughs> oh they got all for <laughs> too cheap, because it'll never, it would never add up. You know what I mean? And in our business, is people start comparing themselves to the the next richer person, you can real lose perspective. Like that's how you get like a real slant into that, like five percent, one percent of this country. You know, you're like, well, hold up, I'm comparing myself to or to or to rich people, right. <laughs> Like I'm not even, I'm like, oh, she making one million, I should be making two million. What? <laughs> but like I'm not saying that you shouldn't make, you know, whatever uh, equivalent, whatever carry that we're looking for out there that we shouldn't be seeking that but like we do have to ask ourselves sometimes why am I asking like oh that man is making uh one million episode, you know or right. he's making 700,000 episodes I'm a woman I want to make 800,000 episodes why am I not sometimes going I'm a woman I'm making 500 he's making 700 we should be balancing out that we should be balancing out both these incomes with to just put some of that money
1: down below, you know, <laughs> to spread oh. some of that extra income around for the people be- below us that are
0: making like $30,000 for the year. Well, you know you what? Know? As so, a time, like, always get
1: richer, it, you know? It's so true. I have a girlfriend who's a series regular on a hit show right now, and she said, it's crazy to hear everybody sit at the table and argue for money. And she, she sat there, and she was the only one to say basically what you said, which was how rich do we need to be? We are already making more money in one day than people make in a lifetime. She's like, so why don't we think about what are smarter ways to use the money? And, you know, a few years ago, SAG had an entire article on what if the people at the top, the actors or directors and writers who are the 1%, what about they renegotiated their contracts to make sure the people below are getting paid a fair living wage? Because between residuals aren't what they used to be. And people, you know, a lot of people don't know anymore, but actors, there used to be a time every gig an actor got, they got paid more money. You would almost, it'd yeah. be hard to repeat your same quote. Girl, I had a conversation in an audition room recently, and I asked everybody, I was like, has anybody gotten their quote? And people were like, what's a quote? And I said, that's all I needed to hear. That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. Like, a very that's small right. percentage that's actually gets that quote, which means everyone either has to rethink it like you or rethink what's your intention. Because, you know, it's funny, art was never meant to make people rich anyway. <laughs> that's like, that's such a yeah. new phenomenon that we take for granted. That, Absolutely. It wasn't supposed to be this way. I know I'm going to have to let you go soon, but I've got to ask you two questions before you leave that I know people are super interested in. And me too, which is... Okay. You, 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 as most of us from the theater world, you started in the theater world and now you've crossed over into this world of TV. Uh, What, first of all, as, as concisely as possible, how did you finally click over into the TV world? I'm guessing that had to be somewhat of an intention to cross over to that stage. And what has it taught you as an artist, crossing over to that? Because it's definitely a different discipline, being a TV writer versus a stage writer.
0: Absolutely. I mean, in a very quick way, what brought me over to television was playwriting. from um, people out here in L.A. having read my plays, and me getting in conversation with them, um, just having a meeting and getting in conversation with them, and then them um, saying, hey, we have this project we think you'd be cool for. That project not going, but the showrunner of that project going, hey, I'm running (laughs) Shameless. I want you to come to Shameless. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so, and all those things happening in a very fast or very, uh, I was not very intentional, um, I, frankly, I was, I was doing plays. That's what I, um, that, that's why I say I can't, I can't tell nobody how to build a career. i not happening, like, oh, I really want to make a career in television. It was like, oh, I'm really doing my plays. And then <laughs> and someone says, come on over to television. And I go, uh, right now, uh, okay, let me think about this, you know, really fast, like in a week, um what has taught me i think as a writer is because it is very different um it has given me television writing gives me First of all, it allows me to realize that there's no need to take any crap in theater because <laughs> can't nobody make no living in theater, really. Right. So I'm, I'm not going to take a lot of crap for not being able to make a list for your prestige. You know what I mean? Like, right. can't nobody eat prestige. I got to actually eat real food. I, you know what I mean? I got to take care of right. with, real, with real medicine, not your prestige. So it, it basically has given me a different kind of sense of worth in a strange way. I don't mean like, Financial word, but I mean that. Oh, you know, we're we're so we're fighting ourselves in theater to get like you know knighted so that we can keep bowed down to for not being able to pay our, our you know rent or buy a house.
1: Right. <laughs> like, listen, that why is why so real. It is so real. I'm so happy to hear someone say that out loud other than me because to me the difference yeah, is so I stark. Think. It's almost insulting. It's so stark. Yeah.
0: It's to awesome. real. In a lot of ways, but it is something, But I, I, but then it makes me go. So then, if I'm a do theater, I, because I do love it, it is there's is nothing like it. Right. And if I do theater, then that means I am doing something I believe in. Yes. I'm not gonna take no crap for it no more. I'm doing something I believe in for my soul, because I don't need it to live. Right. So I need it to live spiritually. I don't need it to live financially, because it's not gonna make me live financially. I can chase this all my life. I ain't, you know. Unless I get, like, a Hamilton on Broadway, I'm not
1: going to live, really. No, and look, and that's a musical at the end of the day. I mean, only my friends who are in the musical world can actually say they can go buy a house at the end of the day. That's
0: right.
1: Yeah, but straight theater, child, no. Straight Straight. theater, no. And, you know, it's funny. I did a play for the first time in seven years. uh, And, first of all, it made me so hungry for theater. By the time I was finished with the show, I was like, oh, my God, I got to go back to stage. I got to go back and do this again. But it made me realize the amount of money I made after three months, though, my managers, every time a project would come up, a TV or a movie, my people would keep telling people, well, she's involved in a passion project right now. And I thought, man, that's that's right.
0: right. (laughs) Isn't that funny?
1: And I'm like, passion its my first love. Okay.
0: It's the first one. She's involved with, like, uh, uh, basically a, a life-saving soul project. You know, that's what she's doing. You know, I mean, and, and she, she's creating a legacy right now. I'm sorry. She'll be back. Oh, she's my like, God.
1: Like, oh, I have not heard that one. I love that. She's creating a legacy. You know, so, you know, but so anyway,
0: so those are the differences. But I, and I, I I value them both equally but very differently, you know.
1: No, it's true. And then so, and like you were saying, now you're over in TV. What has, has this actually, uh, has it affected the way you've looked at how you even create your theater now? Has anything resonated to the other in a different way? Because first of all,
0: television writing you structure in a way that you got that. I mean, it's structured. It's very structured. Yes. And I think that it helps me, as a writer, playwrights, you know, we get in the room We're like, I mean, structure is, like, the most painful for me, and a lot of playwrights that I know, we're like, structure is the most painful part of writing, yeah. like, trying to figure out how, how the house is all going to stand, yes. that's annoying, but, like, splashing color on the walls, that's a lot of fun. I know, <laughs> you know it's so I mean?
1: true, it's so true. You know? it's so true
0: tv makes you have to have a house you got to have a sound house so the suckers don't get on the air you're going on the air whether you finished it and you painted it like you like it not you know so we gotta it 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 requires a faster and more um a very it it builds a muscle of quickly coming up with like how your story is gonna work
1: i think it's so exciting uh, to know that this is what you're doing and Lynn Nottage, I hear she's over there. She uh, is one of the writers and producers for She's Gotta Have It. And there's so many yeah. more theater writers in general doing TV, which is probably why TV has gotten so much better. I think
0: so. I mean, there's a lot of artists that are great in television, but I think playwrights are definitely doing our part to pull the weight up of, of making sure television writing is like top-notch, and I think that that's awesome. That's why I love TV so much right now.
1: Listen, okay, I promise this is the last question. I promise, I promise. This This is probably the last question. First of all, you are like, I talking to you is like talking to, like so many muses wrapped into one. It's like the most beautiful Southern muse mixed in with like Maya Angela and Toni Morrison mixed in with Angela Davis. It's like all the things I love about being a woman is like all wrapped up in how you speak about things. Uh, I so appreciate you spending your time and talking. And, you know, um, I I still remember when we did Paradise. What was it? Blues, Paradise Blues? Was Paradise that? Blues, yeah. And I remember just sitting at the table with you and creating your intensity for listening is, it feels so intentional. And it also feels, as an artist working with you, very loving and like very big at the same time. It's like, I feel that you have an intention, but I also feel you're like something, anything can happen right now that can maybe change the course of this character or the play or your intention. And I, that's a very um, rare thing to see, or at least to feel in sort of a, a reading process with a living writer in that way. Uh, and I was yeah. just wondering watching you in that process. I'm like, especially since writing is such a solo endeavor What have you done in your life? Is there, I bet you you're going to be like, Cass, I don't know. Okay, it changes every time. But I'm wondering, what do you do to get unstuck, though? Because I'm wondering, have you ever written something that you thought was going to be one thing, and then the characters took over and it was like, no, we're going to make it this? Or have you been quite disciplined to keep your play what you wanted the intention to be? Oh, that's
0: a great question. I know, you're like a poet when you ask these questions. I'm <laughs> like, I'm totally here <laughs> to fucking burn. Uh, <laughs> you know, Thank you. a lot of thinking. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, to get on stuff, I mean, I, I do tend to, I think about, I don't, like, it's been a long time. Like it don't take me like a year to write a play per se. It might take me a year, um, but it don't take me a year to actually sit down and write the play. It takes me a year to like, I be having it on my mind for a year. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm thinking about these characters for a year. I'm thinking about like, you know, what I want to say and who I want to say it through. But by the time I actually sit down and start putting my hands to the you know to the keyboard, I kind of have some sense. A lot of times of, of who I'm trying to create. Now that's not always true, but sometimes you know I find that when I have no ideas and I'm just like ready to just experiment, that's usually the incomplete plays that sit in a vault somewhere, right? <laughs> but when I'm like kind of know person, that's plenty. And I might recycle them soon You know, that was like, oh, that was good dialogue. I actually started Pipeline with some really bad dialogues over some girls over at, at school talking about like a. a, a a security guard they had a cross on. No. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. But it led to like, it led to like you know, um, some other forms of that story being told. And it made its way into the story in a different way, you know. But I, when I know what I want to do, like when I'm like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to write about the. the the school-to-prison pipeline, and I want to figure out like who these characters are. I want—I know that I want to tell a mother having to make a sacrifice for her son. Like once I know what the main character is trying to fight for, I can write. It. I can get there. I could write all day because I I just know, once you know what somebody wants really badly, then you can start, you can, all you got to do is make a decision about whether or not they're going to get it. Right. No, that's so true. That's That's all all a play is. You're so right. Yeah, yeah. That's all a play is. So I don't don't always know if they're going to get it or not when I'm writing it, but I know what they want, so now I can start creating a lot of fun obstacles for them to get what they want. And at the end of it, I usually find myself like, Okay, so now they want it. Are they going to get it or are they not? I surprise myself sometimes with that answer. Oh. But at least when I know what they're fighting for, I know I know what the play's about. And I can start writing, you know. Um, so to me, that's how I get unstuck. I, if I sit down and I think about who am I really trying to tell the story to, what do they want? Like what do they really want more than anything in the world? You just and it's something simple sometimes. Like she just wants her pension. He just wants, you know, he just wants to. And uh, she just wants her son not to stay in. And she wants her son not to go to jail. Right. That's like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he just wants her. He just want her to to, to marry him. Or what? Well, he just wants a bar. Uh, all he wants is a bar. You know? <laughs> and like and like it's simple things that they want, and I to figure out how to 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 get him around fighting for it. And that's the interesting part to me. Um, what they're willing
1: to do for it. What are you willing to do for it? Oh, that is the sexiest thing ever. That's the truth. What are they willing to look, I can create a whole character off of what are they willing to do for it? That's all the human being what is. To do
0: for it. The choice is. Yes. Yeah. What you willing to do for it? You want you want you want a piece of cake? On the what you want to do for it? You gonna come to my and I'm like, how hungry are you? <laughs> do you know what I mean? No, it's true. That's when I started figuring out.
1: Man, I loved Pipeline so much. I mean, the the at the end of that play, I called my sister, but I was like, you got to drive to New York to see this play. Every mother needs um, to see Pipeline. Especially that moment when she gets on her knees and she just begs and she's like, just tell me what you want me to do. And when he gets into that monologue, I, was it him who gets into the monologue about if I could just yeah. maybe just go off somewhere, like just a big open field somewhere? I mean, as a onlooker onto that play, and this is true for all your plays, I sit there and I have like a totally alternate conversation of how would I fix this problem? How can the world fix this problem? It's so yeah. overwhelming and it's so beautiful. And I think I heard y'all filmed it, didn't you? PBS filmed it?
0: uh yeah uh yeah, that's right it's gonna be on pbs next
1: year listen okay oh, what a I blessing mean. what that is super cool yeah. what a blessing because then everybody can see that because sometimes i see a show and i'm like everybody needs to see this it is medicine everybody yeah. Dominic morrison you are medicine i miss you so much but la is so yeah. lucky
0: yeah.
1: la is so lucky to have you but i miss you and i adore you when you come to town drinks or tea are on me thank you so much yeah